Amen. What a wonderful name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess. What a wonderful name. What a wonderful name it is. Thank you all for just being here this morning. Thank you for joining us online. You know, I thought I was standing in for the regular guy, but he showed up. <laughs> thought he was going to get some rest, get revived, come back with a powerful word. We thank God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you this morning, Lord. I thank you for just, just meeting us here this morning, Lord. Help us, Lord, to put aside any and everything that is not of you, Lord, and let us see you this morning. Lord, I ask that you move Leroy out of the way. Speak, Lord. Speak to your people, Lord, because we know when your word goes forth, it will not return void. We know, Lord, that it will accomplish everything that you send it out to accomplish. Help us, Lord. Help us to see you. It's in the mighty, precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Cal Ripken Jr. played professional baseball. He was dubbed the Iron Man. He holds the record for most consecutive games played, 2,632. That's staying power. Ripken once said, baseball is a game of frustration and failure. As a hitter, you fail seven out of 10 times. So you have to figure out how to deal with failure quite a bit. Now, after Ripken hit his first home run in his very first game, the next 63 pitches, he only hit four. He only had four hits. Four hits. Staying power through failure kept Ripken in the game. And staying power in Jesus will keep us in the game. Brothers and sisters, we live in a sinful, broken, and fallen world. Because of the presence of sin, this world, we will have failure. Failure is all around us. And as long as we are in the world, the possibility of failure remains. But the power of God in our lives, we can be in this world, but not of it. Jesus gives us staying power. When we fail, if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles today, whether the paper or on your phone, turn with me to John 21, verse 15. It'll be on the screen here in just a moment. If you don't have your Bible, you don't have your word with you. Now today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that helps us see how Jesus meets us and puts us back together, especially after we've experienced failure. Has anyone, anyone here ever experienced failure? Anyone besides me? <laughs> well, you are a candidate for what Jesus wants to give us. Hear these words from God's work. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said, to, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved by this time because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know 
that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So when Peter and seven other disciples post-resurrection was sitting around, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the other seven said, we will go with you. They go out to fish. They fish all night, all night, but they don't catch anything. Just as the light is pulling over the horizon and it's a, the day is about to break, they see this figure out on the shore. And it's Jesus. He's right there standing on the shore, but the disciples didn't know. They didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus asked him a question. Do you have any fish? Now, these were professional fishermen. Maybe a little bit embarrassed, probably a little annoyed that he's asking them, we're fishermen. They said no. Jesus called out, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, they have been, fish they have been fishing all night. You think they've been fishing on the left side all night? Still, the disciples gave it a try. And after they cast the net on the right side of the boat, suddenly the water started churning and chopping from the 153 fish flipping and flopping in the net. And now John's gospel records they couldn't haul it in because the net was so full. Just then, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he says to Peter, it is the Lord. Peter quickly puts on his outer garment and does a cannonball into the water. And he goes ashore. Now, while they were all out on the, on the boat, Jesus had already got the charcoal fire going with fish and bread already laid out on it. Then Jesus asked them to bring some of the fish that they had just caught. So Peter goes back aboard and hauls the net in ashore by himself. And the count of the fish were 153. Now that's an eyewitness account that we're seeing here, that we're reading. Even that many fish didn't break the net. Jesus says, the food is ready. Come and have breakfast. Now even though they were sure it was Jesus, none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? This was the third time they had seen him after the resurrection. Now think about this. He's not a ghost. Before them was the resurrected God-man in a resurrected body, eating fish, breaking bread by a charcoal fire. After, after breakfast, here it comes. Jesus looks, Peter, looks at Peter and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter answers in the affirmative, yes, Lord. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. And I just was noticing this morning, I, I was talking to Randy, I said, I notice he's not calling him Peter, he's calling him Simon. He says to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? 
Peter responds for the third time in the affirmative, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Now, why do you think Jesus is asking Peter three times if Peter loved him? What's going on right here? Let's think about it. All night, no fish. Cast the net to the other side, suddenly the mother load of fish. It reminds us when, G- when Peter was first called by Jesus. Do you see it? Which is found in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And after that first encounter, Jesus said to Peter, I'm calling you to be a fisher of men. But then there was failure. Peter denied Jesus publicly. Three times Peter failed. Peter failed, but Christ is faithful. And because of Christ's faithfulness, Peter's failure was not final. Peter is grieved, but Jesus is faithful. So Jesus recreates the scene of the denials. There are witnesses there. There's the sight and smell of the charcoal fire. There's the sizzle of the fish in the flames. <laughs> There's the warm crust of the bread. It's all there. Can you see it? Do you smell it? Jesus is recreating the scene, not to rub it in Peter's face, but to let him know. In no uncertain terms, this is true. Peter, your failures are not final. Church, your failures are not final. Jesus reminded Peter, I want you to shepherd my sheep. I want you to feed the souls of those whom I will call into the flock. Peter, I've stopped desiring to... I've not stopped desiring to feed you. I want to feed you so that you can feed others. Do you see what's happening here, church? Jesus, just as Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and then told them to do that to others, Jesus is feeding Peter because he wants to feed others through Peter and through us as well. He says, I want you to take care of what does not belong to you. These sheep are mine. Peter, you're mine. And then Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him again, follow me. Do you get it? Your assignment's not over, Peter. I know, I know you think it's over. You've gone back to fishing. But Jesus wasn't done with him. Jesus, had, Jesus, Jesus hadn't given up on Peter. So Peter, don't you give up on Peter. Long before Satan desired to sift you as wheat, Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith failed not. Long before Satan wanted to take him out of the game, Jesus had proclaimed to Peter You are the rock, and I will build my church upon the rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto ye the keys of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do you hear what God is saying to us today? It's our big idea. Our failures do not keep Jesus' love or his call from our lives. Your failure does not keep Christ from loving you. 
Your failures do not cancel, revoke, eliminate, or withdraw Jesus' calling on your life. Your faith is not futile. Your death is not final. And your failures are not fatal. Some of you don't believe that. Some of you think that your failure has caused Christ to write you off. Some of you think your failures has caused Christ to say, you know what, I'm done with you. Go back to fishing. Go pick up those nets. Go back doing what you were doing before you failed. But that's not what Christ says. Christ says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. In this text, our text today, your failures do not keep Christ from calling you to do what he wants you to do for him. Some of you feel like you can't be used by God, but that you have been relegated back to the minors, to the AAA league in, in Texas, and will never be called back up to the majors. Some of you are saying in your heads, and I know you're saying this right now, Elder Leroy, you don't know how bad it is for me. You don't know how bad it was. And you know what? You're right. I don't know. But I do know how bad it was for Peter, how bad it was for David, and how bad it was for Paul. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 and 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Verse 13, he says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor of the church and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly and along with the faith and love of Christ Jesus. In other, word, in other words, Paul is admitting, I orchestrated the violent death of Stephen. I held the coats of those who killed him. If Christ can show that much love and grace to Paul, how much love will he do it? For, how much more will he do it for us? How much more? I also know my own story. Over the past two to three years, I have struggled. I've struggled with what has gone on around me, what has happened in me. I was so discouraged with the amount of division in our country. I've been feeling workplace burnout and fatigue. Others, others saw the impact that it was having on me way before I saw it. I wasn't recognizing it. My loving wife, she said to me, I'm concerned about you. You're not the same. Jonathan, our eight-year-old son, he said, Dad, are you all right? My mom, who doesn't live here, she's probably watching. And I don't talk with her as much as I need to talk to her. She asked me, son, are you okay? My wife, aunt, who lives with us, moved with us early this year. She said, Demetria, is Leroy okay? He isn't the same. My coworkers, who sometimes believe I'm the mood setter. Can you believe that? <laughs> they think I'm the mood setter at the office. They asked if I was okay. It wasn't until I did a grief training. It was a grief training workshop that our organization put on that I realized I was not me. I was slipping deeper and deeper into depression. At that training, God was prompting me to speak up 
And you know what? I'm so glad I did. So glad. But after speaking up, I was all of a sudden faced with another dilemma. The trainer suggested therapy through our EAP program, which is available to all employees. They may be watching and saying, oh, man, I didn't know it. But anyway, um, <laughs> why was it a dilemma for me? Because I was now having anxiety because the stigma in my family is that we don't do therapy. The feeling of hopelessness and not feeling worthy was becoming overwhelming and it was trying to overtake me. I had to get help. But I've been raised that this is taboo. We don't seek help. We deal with it. And since then, I've, I've talked to others in my culture, and they, they've told me that other Christians have told them, if you need help, you aren't praying enough. <laughs> you aren't spending enough time with God. But did you know, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Office of Minority Health, adult African Americans are 20% more likely to report serious psychological distress than white adults. Despite this, African-Americans are less likely than whites to seek out treatment and more likely to end treatment prematurely. But I'm happy to say, <laughs> I'm happy to say to you all today, I sought out help, I completed the treatment, and I have been working, <laughs> working hard on how I can extend the treatment. Here's how I can best describe in real time what I felt. Have you ever had a dream where you were falling and you felt like, I was never going to reach the bottom. Like the fall was just going on and on and you never reached, you never reached the body, bottom and you, you woke up and realized it's just a dream. But it was, to, it was happening to me in real time. And every time I received another rejection, read or watched another story of the vision, I not only felt as if I was falling, but I was very grieved and felt like things were hopeless and I was worthless. But the word, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. I had to be reminded, nothing is wrong with getting help. Golf pros have coaches. Athletes have training. My mind can get professional help as well. That's good news, church. My faith isn't futile. It's, it's not useless or pointless. Thanks to Jesus, my death isn't final. My failures aren't fatal. They are not designed to destroy me. Jesus said, I have, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, your failures are not, are not final. Your failure isn't going to stop Christ's call on your life. It's not going to stop it. The Bible contains numerous accounts of individuals who failed in their relationship with him. Yet, this did not prevent them from going on and doing great things for him. Failures didn't stop David. It didn't stop Paul. And as we are reading today, it didn't stop Peter. Peter knew. He knew he was not called a fish for fish. But after failure, he went back to what was familiar to him. How many of us have gone back to what was familiar? And God just came back and got us. He came and got me in that grief training. He came and got me. But Jesus went after Peter. 
Jesus fed him breakfast. Jesus showed Peter the darkness of sin, but the brilliant light of Jesus' grace restored Peter. This resurrection, this restoration wasn't private or it wasn't, it wasn't mystical. It was public. And guess what? A few months later, the apostle Peter stood before the crowds on Pentecost and he preached the first gospel sermon. He cast a net, not to the right, nor to, not to the left, nor to the right. And that day, 3,000 flipped and flopped into the baptistry. God is good. Jesus' grace is greater than my past. Church, our failures did not keep Jesus from loving, loving us or his call from our lives. Peter can testify to that. Paul can testify to that. I came today to testify to that. Come to Jesus today. Tell your neighbor. Come on, somebody. We're going to be a little interactive right now. Tell your neighbor right now. Tell your neighbor right now. It says, great, your, his grace is greater than your sin. Tell somebody else and make it a little personal. His grace is greater than my sin. Now look up and let God know. Your grace is greater than my sin. Amen, 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 and thank God. Thank God for you today. Let's give God some praise because he's so worthy.